0: Good morning. good morning. Good morning, Rick. The rest of you, good morning. Good morning. Ah, there we are. Happy Mother's Day to all the mums here. Uh, we celebrate with you today. Uh, this morning, uh, we're going to continue in a series that we start in. We started in January, and we've sort of uh, been engaging intermittently throughout the, the first half of this year, called Family Dynamics um, in the Household of Faith. So in, in uh, the book of Ephesians, the uh, Apostle Paul said this, So you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So we're all part of the same household, and as you know, in a household, there's uh, sort of any combination of you know, f- fathers, mothers, children, brothers, sisters, wi- you know, wives, husbands, widows. Today we're going to talk specifically in uh, this family dynamic, this household of faith, women in the church. Pretty fitting on on Mother's Day, isn't it? It's awesome. So we're going to go to uh, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 1 through 3. I would just encourage you to stand with me. I'm going to read those three verses out of reverence and respect for God's holy word. Uh, 1 Timothy 5, verses 1 through 3. It says, Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. Honor widows who are truly widows. The reading of God's word. You may be seated. Thank you. So like I said, we're going to focus on women in the church today. But I included all of these verses, the first part of verse 1, even though it talks about uh, men, fathers, and brothers, uh, because the one word that's used in there, encourage, actually applies to all of them, to men and to women. So if we reread this text, it could be taken this way. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Encourage younger men as brothers. Encourage older women as mothers. Encourage younger women as sisters in all purity. <clears throat> Excuse me. Honor widows who are truly widows. And so, today, in this broad category of all women, but split into two older women and younger women, we're going to look at uh, ways that we are to treat them in our family. Hopefully, you grew up in a home where you were taught how to treat women. If you didn't, uh, God instructed the Apostle Paul and how to uh, teach those who would lead the church and those who engage in this family how to treat women. And so today we're going to explore this just a little bit. Now these broad categories of older and younger women covers all types, if you will, wrong word kind of, but of women, both married and single, so this applies to all the women here today. So three ways that I want to mention that we should treat the women among us. First, with encouragement. And this applies to older women and younger women. We encourage them, I think, in different ways. So let's talk about encouraging older women first. But first of all, that word encouragement is the word para-kaleo. Kaleo Kaleo is the word to call or to summon alongside. Para means parallel. It means to to, uh, alongside, right? Like train tracks run parallel. So when you encourage someone, you actually come alongside them and walk a journey with them. You sometimes invite people into a conversation or you summon them for help or you can appeal to them for something or urge them or exhort them or request something or implore them. But there's also an aspect of being called alongside to comfort, to build up, to cheer up. In several places in Scripture, this word, and, and it's used specifically this way in our text this morning, this word parakaleo means to console or conciliate, to speak, to speak in a friendly manner, maybe even apologize to. It, it is a highly relational, uh, intimate word that Paul uh, uses in the way we treat each other in the family. And so how do we encourage older women? We encourage them as mothers. Um... You would treat them like you would your mom. So how do you treat your mom? You respect them. You honor them. You admire them. You are indebted to them. So you listen to your mom. You eat their food. (laughs) I'm not saying that just because I'm a foodie, but in all seriousness, you eat their food. I have had... uh, uh, Amazing relationships with older women in every church that I've had a privilege of leading or pastoring. And this one is no different. From the very beginning, the older women have treated me like their son. And I honor them like my mother. Um, Without mentioning any names, because I know I'll miss some, they've treated me so well they spoiled me. (laughs) That's what moms do for the kids, right? They spoil them a little bit. These women, they pray for me. They advise me, which I appreciate their wisdom because they've had their own sons and they've seen church leadership come and go. And they have so much to speak into my life. They feed me, uh, literally. And uh, you know, the older women in the church, they're amazing bakers usually. Like they just give you cookies and they have you over for meals. And it's like, you you don't say no to that stuff. Like it's just, it's what they do, right? Right but they feed my soul, too. They encourage me. They look out for me. They'll tell me, hey, Eldon, are you taking enough time for yourself? Can can you just slow down a little bit? Like, I'm concerned about you. Um, Are you okay? Are you doing okay? There's older women in this church that take my wife out for lunch to encourage her as a a pastor's wife. And how are you doing? It's amazing. There's one who shall remain nameless, but she got flowers this morning. And uh, so Tina over here, She's, she's earned this because she has... How many kids do you have, Tina? Doug? How many kids do you have? Six. I thought it was six. I didn't want to get the number wrong, though. Twelve grandchildren, 18 grandchildren. I think she's great-grandchildren. I think she's earned the right to speak into my life. But since day one, way back at the Friendship House, before this gathering got going as an established campus of Central Community Church, Tina would come alongside me and Every Sunday, give me a big hug. How you doing, Sonny? How you doing, boy? I, I, I'm, I'm Tina's boy, like, and I love that. She's my mom. Yeah. <laughs> um, how many of you have ever been told, don't talk to your mother that way? Well, that applies here too. The, the mom is often the backbone, the strength of the family, Right? And it's true in this church, let me tell you. I'll get to that in a minute. But my mom, my mom personally, my, my true mom, blood mom, I guess you could say, she passed away a few years ago. But in our tribute to her as children, one of my siblings said that our mom was the glue who kept this family together. That's the way we're to encourage the older women among us. You know the saying, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. So (laughs) keep the mamas happy because they're the backbone of this family. Um, My dad bought a fridge magnet one time, and this was long after we were gone. They were retired and and, uh, living in their little condo in Saskatoon. They moved off the farm, and my dad put this magnet on the fridge, and it says there, I don't care who wears the pants in this family as long as there's money in the pocket. (laughs) And so maybe that's not very encouraging or respectful, but actually to my mom it was because my mom was a provider. She worked so hard. She worked hard outside the home. She worked hard, harder inside the home to provide everything that we needed. And we didn't have a lot of money. That's why my mom had to work outside the home. But we always knew that she cared that we were... <laughs> We were well looked after. Even if I had to wear darn socks and knees that were patched at the knee <laughs> or pants that were patched at the knee, didn't matter. I, did, I didn't notice those things because it's, my, it's what my mom did. So we value older women, recognize their contributions, affirm their worth and their continued role to make this place function the way it does. Uh, Women at our campus are the glue that holds this place together. Now I want to say something that hopefully will shock you and be a challenge to the men among us. I want to name every key ministry area that our church has. Hopefully I don't miss any, but we've got prayer, we've got care ministry, we've got front door, everything that happens to greet people, welcome them, look after you there. Our setup, our worship ministry, music, Children's ministry, hospitality, you know, food, decor, coffee, all of these things. We've got a few outreach ministries that are important here at Kent Elementary School, at uh, a community dinner called the Olive Branch. We put a team in this past year to serve alongside five other teams there. Every single ministry area that I just mentioned is led by a woman. Everyone. 100%. And uh, that's how much I value the women among us. This place would not function. And so we, we honor and encourage older women as mothers. But we also encourage younger women as sisters. Um, uh, just a couple of days ago, I was uh, saying happy birthday to someone on Facebook, and I was looking at a few posts there. And uh, this... Younger woman goes to our church here, our campus. And I just want to read a post that she shared from Mercy Seat Ministries. Mercy Seat Ministries is a, uh, is a wonderful ministry based out of Chilliwack in the Greendale area. And I know the, the ladies well that, that run these uh, Mercy Seat. And I just want to read this for you. February 21, the voice in your head, I think this applies to the younger women among us, the voice in your head that says you're worthless unlovable, not enough, can never be trusted. The enemy will lie to you with a hope to keep you stuck in cycles of shame and defeat. Satan tries to convince us to hide, retreat, and believe that the Lord can never use us because of what we've done, or I would add who we are. However, our gracious Father calls us into repentance by loving conviction, allowing us to feel guilt that prompts a change in our behavior and desires. God will never attack your character, steal your witness, or prevent you from experiencing the freedom that comes through Him when our hearts change through conviction. What an amazing and loving Father. And then there's this quote Don't let the enemy get into the cycle. get you into a a cycle of discouragement or a state of defeat by believing and repeating his lies disguised as truth. God will lead you with love and conviction, but never with condemnation or accusation. Don't speak the language of shame. So, the, the three pastors on our staff who deal mostly with family Children's ministries, but I, I deal with that across the board as a campus pastor, and so I know this to be true as well. But they have said, particularly in the last couple of years, I think this has always been true, but in the last couple of years, there's been an upward trend, an alarming upward trend of anxiety, fear, depression amongst younger women and young moms. And guys, all of us, men in particular, we need to help our younger women defeat those lies. We need to encourage them and not add to that the lies that, that they listen to. And uh, <clears throat> especially the young women whose role is as a young mom, I want to, I want to take my hat off to you because raising children is hard it's hard. It's hard at every stage, but it's really hard when they're young. And so we bless you and we encourage you, younger women, encourage you as sisters. But in particular, the Apostle Paul says we treat uh, women older and younger not just with encouragement, but we treat uh, women, secondly, with integrity. And uh, the word is uh, purity is used in Second uh, Tim or First Timothy five, and this pertains specifically to younger women. You know, just as we may have grown up uh, hearing, "Don't talk to your mother that way." How many times have you heard, "Stop teasing your sister," <laughs> right? Don't tease your sister. It's so easy to cross the line. In in my uh, family, this was never an issue because, as the youngest of four. Siblings. My sister, who is the oldest, six and a half years older than me. She was the firstborn. She could beat the daylights out of me. So it was never a problem. She kept me in. She kept me in my place, right? Maybe that's why I learned how to respect women. I don't know because I was the youngest, and my sister didn't put up with anything. I remember one time. Now I would. So I'm six and a half years older. She got engaged quite early. I think she was like 19 or something like that. I was 12, 13 years old, and I was bugging her. She turned around. She's wearing this, uh, you know, big engagement ring on her finger. She just up and punched me as hard as she could. And I'm like, ah! (laughs) That was my sister, okay? So I learned how to respect her. (laughs) But guys, uh, we can easily cross the line, right? Emotionally, psychologically, sexually. The word here, purity, is the word chastity. Has to do with sexual purity in particular. But I want to ask you a question. If someone were to mess with your sister, what would you do? There was a group that tried to mess with Marcy when she was young, and I'd tell you, her brothers came to her defense. That's what we do in the church. We, we, we treat younger women. With, uh, we encourage them and build them up, but treat them with absolute purity in all areas. And so, listen, both, both genders, uh, female and male, have always been abused. Sexually, physically, mentally, emotionally, financially, socially, religiously, but the abuse is disproportionate towards girls and women by men and this needs to stop. And the church needs to model it. We need to be the front-runner. There's a reason why the Holy Spirit told the Apostle Paul to write that we must treat younger women as sisters in all purity. And it breaks my heart, and it never stops, and I don't think it ever will when we read of high-profile leaders in the church, you know, like Bill Hybels or Mark Driscoll or Bruxy Cavey most recently. We could talk about all these things for hours. Those are just the ones we know about. But part of the reason why abuse exists is because some men view themselves as superior, as higher, as not equally created by God as women are. With us. Listen, women and men are equal. We may have different roles in the church, but that has nothing to do with our equality before God. We have different roles to play in the house, in the home. We have different roles to play in the household of God, but we are all on equal footing. In Genesis, right at the beginning of the Bible, God says, male and female, he created them. In his image, he created them. Both created the same. One first, and then the other, but as equals in his image, with incredible value, male and female. Listen, inequality is based on superiority, which leads to an inferiority amongst a certain gender, and that lacks integrity. In the eyes of God and at the foot of the cross, we are all the same positionally before God. In fact, the Apostle Paul, and I'm going to talk about the women that he valued and were part of his ministry, as I'm going to talk about Jesus as well in this way. But uh, he, he said in Galatians 3, he wrote that uh, in Christ... In fact, there is no male and female. Spiritually, before God, our standing before God at the foot of the cross is the same. In fact, there's no gender that exists there. We're all the same. But that doesn't mean that gender doesn't exist. Okay, don't hear me saying that. Gender exists in a physical sense because we have different roles to play. But in a spiritual sense, there's There's no difference. And so in the church, there's this interconnectedness, this interdependence within the family based on equality where we work together to glorify God and to make his name known uh, in this world that other people might come to know him through Christ. So we're going to talk about that in a minute, the way women in the church have always done this. But I want to talk first uh, about a, a third way that we are to treat women. And this one, Paul specifically mentions widows, and that is with honor. With honor. Honor widows who are truly widows, Paul said. And he spends a fair amount of time here. We're not going to spend a lot of time going uh, through all of the qualifications, what, you know, what makes a, a widow someone who is worthy of receiving the help that she deserves through the church. And it's based on, I guess, maybe ability to continue working or possibly get remarried if that's what God has for them, Um, their reputation and character and all those other kinds of things. But the point is that, um, and also uh, a widow's family of origin, like their blood family, needs to step up to the plate to meet needs first. But where all of that is lacking, the church is responsible to honor widows. And the word honor literally is to revere, but used in this sense, the word means to give assistance to and support financially, practically, to provide the needs of someone. That's how we honor someone and show them respect. In fact, James wrote in chapter one, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. There's that purity thing again. Okay, so I thought, if we're going to talk about women in the church, let's name some, not here this morning, but let's name them as they are found in Scripture. This was an amazing study that I did this week. Like, I've known about all of these women that were part of Jesus' ministry, part of the Apostle Paul's ministry in the early church and whatnot. But until I really dug into it, I didn't truly appreciate... The, the immense influence and impact that women had on the early church and for the gospel. Now, I say up here, notable women of the New Testament, I mean notable in a good sense, because there's some notoriety amongst women in the New Testament that is not so great. There were some nasty ones out there, like Herodias and Salome. They were like a mother daughter duo who conspired to. Get the head of John the Baptist on a platter. I'm not going to mention them this morning. Okay, well, I just did. But (laughs) let's get that out of the way. And let's talk about the ones who served the Lord. Not the ones who persecuted the church. Mary, the mother of Jesus. I mean, how can we not start there? I'm going to take these in order as best I can as they appear in Scripture. Uh, Mary Young Mary, visited by an angel and told she would conceive the Son of God. Can you imagine? By the Holy Spirit, nonetheless, there would be no male involvement. <laughs> like, and so after asking a few questions, I mean, who wouldn't? She asked the angel a couple of questions, and she's like, okay. Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And then she turns around and writes a song. She wrote a song of praise called the Magnificat. Mary was a servant songwriter who was committed to Scripture. Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist, she gave birth to John when she was beyond childbearing age. She believed in faith. She was described as righteous, walking blamelessly in all the commands and statutes of the Lord, committed to Scripture, to Mary, the mother of Jesus, she said, "'Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb.'" She was obedient to the word of the Lord to name her child John and not Zechariah. Anna, she was an elderly widow who was a prophetess. She prophesied. She didn't, it, scripture says, Luke 2, 37, "'She did not depart from the temple after her husband died.'" worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Committed to the word of God, prophesying, praying, fasting, and pointing people to Jesus. The Samaritan woman at the well was a very broken woman, yet forgiven. A woman who believed Jesus and was excited to tell others all that Jesus knew about her, all that he did for her because her shame was gone. Mary Magdalene, sinful woman, an immoral woman that had seven demons that were driven out by Jesus. After he freed her of her, Demonic bondage, she traveled with Jesus and supported his ministry financially. Mary Magdalene, together with Mary of Clopas and Mary the mother of James. There's a lot of Marys in scripture, by the way. There's Mary the mother of Jesus, Mary Magdalene, Mary of Clopas, Mary the mother of James. They all witnessed Jesus' crucifixion. They were present at his burial. They witnessed the empty tomb and Jesus' resurrection. Joanna, Joanna, Luke 8 and 24, Herod's household manager. Here's a woman who was the manager of the most powerful person in that area at that time, who was a persecutor of Jews. She managed his household. She was financially set, and she used her financial means to support Jesus. I love that. Taking from somebody who's opposed to Jesus and giving it to Jesus' ministry. That is awesome. That's Joanna. She was cured by Jesus of evil spirits and infirmities and she was also one of the women who took spices to embalm Jesus but she found the tombstone rolled away. She was with the Marys. A woman who bled for 12 years. This is a woman who suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors. Scripture says she spent all she had but instead of getting better, she got worse. Bankrupt and sick. But in faith... She sought out Jesus and just touched the edge of his cloak, and she was healed. And Jesus knew what happened, and he turns around and he says, Who touched me? And in that culture, nobody was allowed to touch, or a woman was not allowed to touch a man in public, especially one who was not her husband. And she was terrified, and she fell down at Jesus' feet and raised her hand and said, It was me. And Jesus said, He praised her for her faith. You've been made well. The woman caught in adultery, Jesus showed her mercy. He did not condemn her, but rather he sent away her accusers and he released her without her shame and told her to go and sin no more. Then we've got another Mary. Mary and Martha of of Bethany. These guys get a lot of time in scripture, these ladies. They were the sisters of Lazarus. Jesus spent an incredible amount of time with this family and he deeply loved them. He wept when Lazarus passed away and it was Mary and Martha who begged of Jesus. Where were you? If you wouldn't have been here, my, our brother would not have died. They opened their home to Jesus many times. They met his needs. Martha was busy in the kitchen. Mary ignored her and went and sat at the feet of Jesus and Martha complained and Jesus said, you know, Mary actually chose what is better. She's listening to me. Wow. Not to put down any Marthas in this place, but I want to let you know, though, that Martha was listening too. You know how I know this? Because when Lazarus died, Jesus said, what are you worried about? And she's, there's going to be a resurrection. And Martha actually, at that point, declared the doctrine of the resurrection. And Jesus says, yeah, 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 it's right. It's true. You were listening, but I'm going to raise Lazarus now. And then it says of Mary, of uh, Bethany, that she was the one who anointed Jesus. She poured the perfume, the expensive nard, over Jesus' head and washed his feet with her hair. In Luke, this is an unnamed woman who is called sinful. In Matthew and Mark, there's no mention of a name, just a woman. Could this have been Mary of Bethany? Bethany in all four Gospels. Jesus hung out with a lot of sinful people, hey? Oh yeah, that's all of us. (laughs) Sorry, I forgot. (laughs) Excuse me. That's all of us. Um, A woman with a disabling spirit. This one I had completely actually forgotten about, but in Luke 13, we read about a woman who was literally bent. She couldn't stand up straight. For 18 years, she walked around like that. And it says that she was bound by a disabling spirit and Jesus met her and she was healed by Jesus and it says that she immediately gave glory to God. The widow who gave two copper coins, an extremely poor woman who had a fraction of one day's wages to live on, that's all she had. And without anybody watching, she dropped them in the offering plate at the temple. And Jesus said, Do disciples, disciples see her? She gave the most. It was nothing, wouldn't even buy you a can of Coke. But she gave the most. She teaches us about sacrificial giving. Then there's women in the parables that may or may not be real women, but Jesus uses the female gender, to teach us a few things. The parable of the lost coin, this woman teaches us to search diligently for the one who is lost because of their extreme value to God. The parable of the ten virgins teaches us to wait in expectant readiness for the bridegroom's return what these women teach us. The the unjust judge, the the woman there teaches us how to pray with persistence and never give up. Then we move to the early church. There's a woman named Tabitha who is renamed Dorcas. Acts 9, it says she was full of good works and acts of mercy, acts of charity. You know what she did? She made clothing for widows. For ladies who didn't have an income anymore, she she clothed them, and she was so loved by the church that they were just in distress when she passed away, and so they called Peter, and he come over and raised her from the dead because she had more work to do. Mary, the mother of John, in Acts 12, she hosted an all-church, all-night prayer meeting when, when Peter landed up in prison, and her servant girl, Rhoda, was the only one who recognized Peter's voice and the only one with enough faith to believe that he was actually alive. Lydia of Thyatira, she was a wealthy, reputable businesswoman, a Greek woman who was a purveyor, an agent of purple dye and cloth. She gave hospitality to the apostle Paul and all who traveled with him, regarded as the first documented convert to Christianity in Europe. Damaris, another Greek woman of high standing who put her faith in Jesus after hearing the gospel preached by Paul. Priscilla, Priscilla, I call Priscilla the powerhouse. (laughs) She is mentioned in four books of the Bible, Acts, Romans, Corinthians, and Timothy. She was a missionary who together with her husband Aquila worked, lived, and traveled extensively with Paul as fellow co-workers in Christ Jesus. That's what Paul called her. She provided a presence that strengthened the early churches. She was well-versed in scripture. She knew the word of God. She knew it well enough to take aside a major evangelist of the first Christian century named Apollos and tell him that his teaching wasn't quite right. She hosted a church that gathered in her home. Phoebe, a deaconess. A leader in the church of Sincrate, she's described as the benefactor of many people, including the Apostle Paul. She was a giver. I like this trio, Trifina, Tryphosa, and another Mary. (laughs) And they are simply acknowledged by Paul as women who work hard in the Lord. In fact, he said, greet Mary who worked very hard for you. She was a builder of the church. Junia. She was a fellow prisoner with Paul. So well known to the apostles that Paul said in Romans 16 that she is outstanding in the view of the apostles. She was a leader in the church who fearlessly declared the gospel and was willing to put her life on the line for it. Yodia and Syntyche Fellow workers of Paul, who labored for the gospel with him, they were influential leaders in the church. So much so that when they had a disagreement, now you, you generally don't get in between two women who are fighting, right? But Paul said, "No, no, no, get between them because they have influence in the church, and unless they get along, this church is get, don't get you know unless they get along, this church will suffer. Sort it out." And I end with Lois and Eunice. The grandmother and the mother of Timothy. Paul said to his young leader, Timothy, that he was mentoring. He said, I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first dwelt in your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. Fan into flame the gifts that you've, of the Holy Spirit that you've been given. How many of us came to faith because of our mom? Come on. Put your hands up. Praise God for mom. Praise God for the... And grandma. Praise grandma. How many came to faith because of grandma? (laughs) There's a few here. There's, There's hands going up everywhere. Thank God for the Loises and the Eunices who impacted our faith journey. I came to faith in Jesus because of my mom. My mom pulled my twin brothers who are three years older than me. She pulled them aside. She explained the gospel to them. She led them in a prayer of repentance that they might put their faith in Jesus. And they did. And it was my brother Dale come running back to me. He found me in the barnyard, (laughs) grabs my hand, literally drags me running as fast as he could into the house, has me kneel in the same spot that he did with mom. Get down on your knees, Eldon. This is what we're going to do. And he led me in prayer of repentance to put my faith in Christ. And that was the beginning of my journey. It's because of my mom. There's one woman that I haven't mentioned yet and I'm leaving her for the last. Next slide there, Tanya. Recognize this one. The bride of Christ. The Apostle John describes the church as the elect lady and her children. This is all of us. And through us, God's deep love where we have been forgiven, made covenant people of his for whom Christ died, It is through us that God's plan is that we, with all of the compassion, nurture, and affection that we can muster, might faithfully praise, worship, pray, give, thank, walk blamelessly, show mercy, hospitality, give sacrificially, support, witness, serve, lead, work hard fearlessly and prophetically speak just like all of the women of the New Testament so that others might come to know Jesus and enter his kingdom to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you that you teach us how to treat the women among us. We bless, honor, and encourage. The women among us, especially the moms and the young moms who work so hard, to be a stabilizing leading force in this place for the gospel and the kingdom of God. And we together as your bride, we honor and we respect you as the bridegroom, our husband, who has a role for us to play in this world. And I pray that you would equip us more and more that we with tender hearts and compassion might look at our community and love them. And love them into the kingdom for your glory. Thank you, uh, God, for this day. Uh, Bless the mothers as they leave from here to celebrate uh, with families. Um, Those who are not celebrating, I pray that you would heal their hurts and their hearts. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.